0: On to my mommy's podcast this episode is sponsored by four sigmatic they are the reason that i am on shrooms the legal kind every single day they make a wide variety of superfood mushroom infused products everything from coffee and teas to mushroom elixirs and even an amazing chocolate that is infused with i believe 10 types of mushrooms I have a shelf in my pantry dedicated just to four sigmatic products, and I pretty much keep all of their products on hand. Some current favorites from our house my kids love the reishi infused cocoa, and I love that it helps them sleep. I also personally really enjoy their 10 mushroom blend, which contains all of my favorites like chaga, cordyceps, reishi, and even mishima. And I can add this to to coffee, to tea, or to smoothies to get my daily dose of shrooms. As a, a listener of this podcast, you can save 15% on those and all Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama and using the code wellnessmama, all one word and all lowercase. So again, that's dot com forward slash wellnessmama. I am so excited to finally be able to share a top secret project I have been working on for literally years. Because this episode is proudly sponsored by Wellness, a new company I co-founded to create safe, natural, and obsessively tested products for families. I'm sure you've heard that most of what you put on your body gets absorbed through your skin and enters into your body. We turn this idea on its head, creating products that aren't just safe to put on your hair or on your skin or in your mouth, but that are actually beneficial because they contain things that your body needs in a way that can get through the skin. We started with the toughest first, creating the first of its kind natural toothpaste that is free of fluoride and glycerin and that contains ingredients like green tea, neem, and hydroxyapatite to support the mouth. Our hair care, we have shampoo and conditioner for curly and straight hair, And it's free of harmful ingredients, but also contains things like lavender and nettle to support healthy, thick hair. I would love for you to be among the first to try it, and you can check it out now by going to wellness.com. So that's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from WellnessMama.com, and I'm really excited to talk to today's guest because I really respect her work. I'm here with Dr. Ann Chippy, who is a powerhouse on a very powerful mission to help people across the world live their healthiest lives using cutting-edge science, um, really specific research, and genetic information to treat the root causes of disease. She specializes in environmental toxicity. Preconception and reproductive health, and mold exposure. And she's designed life altering treatments and protocols for her patients using epigenetic information, which is the study of DNA expression and the body's incredible ability to express or oppress helpful or detrimental genes, as well as prevent, heal, and even reverse certain illnesses. She's a fascinating background. She was an IBM engineer for a decade. And then her challenging experience with traditional medicine motivated her to search for her own health answers. She left engineering to attend the University of Texas Medical School and is now board certified in internal medicine and a certified functional medicine physician with a practice in Austin, Texas. If you live there, I cannot recommend her highly enough. She's the author of two books and is currently working on her third. And I know that you're going to love this episode. We go really deep on mold exposure, mycotoxins, and what you need to know to make sure that you don't have any underlying problems in your home that you're not aware of. Dr. Shippey, welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here.
0: I am so excited to chat with you because you are an expert on many, many things, but I know that you both have personal experience and expertise in an area I get a lot of questions about and I want to jump into today, which is mold and mycotoxin exposure. And I know that you have a story, um, a personal story, and I would love to start there because I think this is a, there's a growing awareness about this and people are realizing they might have a problem, but there's also probably a lot of us who don't even realize we have a problem, but we might. So can you start with a personal story?
1: Yes, I was um, already practicing functional medicine, you know, where where I'm looking for the root cause of illness. And I had gone to a conference on mycotoxins about a year before, but I didn't know it was happening to me. So I was getting sicker and sicker. I had gotten to the point where I would drop a glass if it was full of water because my right arm was so weak. I couldn't even grasp it fully. My hair was falling out all over the bathroom. I had so much pain in the, my body that I didn't want my kids to hug me. It hurt so badly. And I, I couldn't wear my heels anymore because my right foot hurt so much. And I was really getting scared. I, um, I was starting to wonder if I was going to be able to take care of my patients, my kids, and myself. And... I had sought out experts. I'd been to a neurologist, an immunologist, hand specialist, internist. I'd reached out to my friends in the functional medicine community and was really getting stumped. And then one day, one of my patients was that I was treating for environmental toxicity, she was doing great, but she just looked across the table at me, and I thought I had it all kind of covered But she was like Dr. Shippy. I think you're really sick. I think I know. My intuition is telling me it's something that I had gone through, which was toxic mold exposure to a specific mold called Chetomium. And she loved me so much. She was insisting on coming to my house at the end of the day to go walk through it and see if she got her mold symptoms. And so, sure enough, that day she came to my house, walked through it, and um, within in five to ten minutes, she was really not feeling well and had to leave. And she said, yeah, this is what happens to me when I'm in chitomium. You should take very few of your belongings and leave and not ever spend another night here. And I was so scared that I did exactly what she suggested. I went and took my kids and started staying at my parents' house and really amped up my detoxification support and started to feel better. And finally, um, like a month later, after doing – Several of the wrong kinds of mold tests did the right one in the right place in the house and found the cheatomium.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And especially because I I know, like, you as a functional medicine doctor, like, you already know all all the stuff to do. And I'm sure you were living a very clean lifestyle. So the fact that you were still sick, that's really like, like, points to some other kind of issue. Are there, can you kind of walk us through what some of the common symptoms are when it comes to mold exposure? And I know that there's probably a range, but like, both the ones you experienced and other ones people might experience.
1: Yeah, so a lot of times people will just feel like they're more tired. They don't have the energy to do the things that they need to do or their brain will feel a little foggy or they'll be getting skin rashes or a little bit of digestive upset. And then on the more severe side, when we go looking for the root cause of illnesses, it can be things like what's triggering your autoimmune disorder, what caused your cancer, what triggered the diabetes. So it often is the root cause of illness, but the early symptoms are just maybe feeling a little bit more tired. Your hair might be falling out more uh, readily. Uh, some digestive symptoms, headaches, or even more like the allergy symptoms. So I had to go through mold again a few years later. And actually, it was a brand new home that I was living in. I just started developing worsening allergies and asthma.
0: Gotcha. And I know that those are relatively common now as well. So you mentioned it took several rounds of testing before you were able to actually locate it. And I have heard this experience from others as well, who um, even a neighbor of ours, their son got really sick. They did multiple tests and then finally were able to like find and identify the mold. And then so it was a long process to remediate. Um, what kind of testing did you finally do that worked? And are there different kinds that test for different things?
1: That's such a great question. And I think it's a little overwhelming for for people to be listening and taking notes. So we do have a, a mold handout that we can have you put in your notes. It's just com slash mold. So um A lot of even the inspectors that are out there are still not up on the latest technology. So a negative mold test means nothing. A lot of the inspectors are doing air testing. And a lot of these really toxic molds don't put enough mold spores into the air. They're big and they're heavy and they just kind of drop down to where they're close to where they're growing. So it, it misses them. So if you do an air sampling test and it's positive for any of the the more toxic molds, really pay attention to that. So like stachybotrys and chitomium, things like willimia, ochratoxin, penicillium. If those show up, pay attention. Uh, But what I really like to do are samples on the dust. So getting as much dust from the building, whether it's an office or a home, or a school get as much dust and then do the DNA testing rather than just doing the visual inspections or the culture. So um, sometimes they're called an ERMI test, but that ERMI is just really a calculation of what DNA was there of the mold. And then find somebody that's really good at being the house detective. So, like, I think about myself as being the good body detective, like figuring out what's going on. Find somebody who's who takes mold seriously, that they protect themselves with the um, respirator and the um, clothing that will protect them, so they really know that mold can be a problem. And then have them, you know, pull out the the refrigerator and sometimes even have to go into the wall cabinets and with the camera to look to see what's going on. They climb up in the attic and they look to see if things are sealed properly to not leave any stone unturned because you don't want to have had the wrong result and, and have a hidden problem, which is what often happens. The inspectors come in and say, oh, no, everything looks good. And then you've really... And the a big problem.
0: So explain a little bit more on why to test the dust, because I know from my own research that, you know, dust can be a source of the home of many things. But why test the dust versus test the
1: home itself? Because that gives you the best collection. So what I like to do is to take the dust and send, send it for both looking for the mold DNA and then also for the toxins. So we're so still so early in the detection technology for the mold. So we want to use the most advanced ways so that we don't miss it. So we can test for about four families of the mycotoxins in the dust and then about 36 of the different. Mold DNA, and there are you know hundreds to thousands of of different types of mold, and many, many more of the chemicals that the mold is making. So if we can at least get an idea of what's there, it's a the tip of the iceberg. But it can then, when we find those things, then we can can know. Oh well, maybe we really do need to open up walls and and that kind of thing where where it's hidden rather than. To saying, okay, everything's okay on the outside. So for example, when I was going through my mold thing, the thing that had happened is the flashing on the chimney had failed. And so there was a little bit of moisture running down the wall between my son's room and my bedroom and then the ceiling of the living room. But it wasn't enough moisture to, to show through the paint, but it was enough to really grow a lot of mold.
0: Wow, I know that's, that's relatively common, right? That mold can be in the walls or in a place you may not see, but still causing
1: symptoms very much in the house. Exactly. So a lot of times it'll be maybe a shower pan has failed and it's enough to be growing mold in any of the drywall around the shower, but not enough that the wall is getting wet or even behind toilets, refrigerators, dishwashers. And then sometimes it's even um, behind the washer and dryer.
0: Gotcha. And I I know there's some controversy surrounding the idea of mold remediation and how it needs to be done correctly. And, and I've even seen a couple of sources argue that once you've found mold, like it's really never possible to completely remediate it. I'm curious the approach you took and if you feel it is possible
1: and what the best process is to remediate if someone does find mold in their home. Yeah. So I think it is depending on what type of mold is there. I've rarely had people that have the type of mold that made me so sick be able to remediate the teutomium because it has little hooks and just grows into things and it's so hard to remove it all. And we get so sensitive to that particular type of mold. But a lot of the other types of mold, it really, you can remediate if you get somebody really good doing the actual remediation. It's so important to set up containment. One of the mistakes I think that some people make is that they let the, when they're doing the deconstruction, the mold spores really, and the, the toxins spread all over the the building. So um, using plastic walls and really good filtration devices to make sure that they're containing all of the toxins that are being released is really, really helpful to making it more likely that you're going to be able to do the, the adequate cleaning so that the people can get better. And some of it depends on how the building's construction constructed. So basements can be really tricky. Buildings that are built into the sides of hills are are it can be hard to control the moisture enough in the future to to keep it from growing back. So kind of picking and choosing whether it's better to move on, move forward or to invent, make the investments into the building to to try to make it uh, better and it also depends on how sick the person is like i was so sick i i just had to move and not take much with me to get to be able to get better if you're if you're not to that point where you're really in survival mode it's probably worth it to to try to remediate Uh, So it's really, really situational and it can depend on how good of a team you have. I've seen a big disparity in the ability to remediate remediate depending on how much the people get it that are doing the work on what they're dealing with. If they're not thinking about this as being something super toxic and they're not protecting themselves, then that's a real warning sign that they don't understand what they need to do to help to get you better
0: that makes sense. Is there good like general practices for like um like we bought a house a couple years ago in an area that's like prone to mold and I, in hindsight wish I had tested for mold ahead of time? Is there any kind of at-home test that people can buy and test if they're thinking about moving or going to move into a new home?
1: Yes, and that's um on the handout that we put out. So uh, there's a website called blackmoldscan.com, I think it is. <laughs> no, I'm forgetting exactly what it is, but is on the website that you can order the kits yourself or a company called Real Time Lab. Uh, they do the testing in humans as well as doing the testing in the environment and you can order kits from them and do both the DNA part of it as well as the mycotoxin part of it. So yeah, if you're buying a home or even potentially leasing something for a period of time, I really, really recommend testing it before you move all your belongings in there and potentially contaminate yourself and your belongings if you're in some of these areas. Like you're in Florida, right?
0: I am, yeah. So definitely like mold central where we are.
1: Yeah, so some of these places that have had all these hurricanes, it really is difficult to find a A safe place to live. Like, as so many of my patients have come from Houston and they thought that they had, you know, that their home was okay because they didn't have obvious water damage. But because of the blowing, driving winds, if there's any issue with the building envelope not being sealed, Almost perfectly that the the backside of the drywall ended up with big big problems and and even the air conditioning systems can be so compromised with those um, high winds and driving rains.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's also some misconceptions when it comes to mold of like you know if if there's mold in the house it should smell musty or you can you can kind of tell by smelling it. Is that can you talk about mold versus musty smell? Do they go together or is that misconception?
1: Oh, that's the perfect question because I have so many people that say, "Oh, I can't smell it, so it must not be there." That's the MVOCs that some molds make, and so that's a little different type of chemical than the mycotoxins that um, are also produced, and and both can be dangerous. But definitely, if you smell mustiness, of you know, it's something needs to be done or avoid it. But a lot of the mycotoxins you can't smell, so you don't even know it's there. So, you you just, the only way to know for sure is to either test you or test the environment.
0: Okay, so mold doesn't always necessarily go along with a musty smell. What about mildew? Because I feel like those words get used interchangeably. Is mildew the same thing as mold, or is it different? And if it's different, is it dangerous? It's like
1: mold is an overall category of organisms, and then mildew is a kind of a slang term. But a lot of times the things that we think are the harmless mildew kind of thing really aren't and if somebody says to you oh that's not a problem it just looks like mildew run because you can't tell what a mold type of mold something is by looking at it it really has to be looked at under a microscope cultured or tested by the DNA, because mold changes colors, it changes the appearance depending on what kind of surface it's growing on, and what other kinds of mold are present. Present, so they, it, you know, one like a mold growing on one substance might be white and black on another, so and pink on another. So you really have to test it to know for sure.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that's good to know. And you mentioned a few of them. Are there areas of the home where? mold is more likely, I know you said like laundry room, um, like anywhere where it could leak in through the roof. But if someone's having kind of unexplained symptoms, how where do they even start looking? And I know you have a resource too that you've mentioned. We'll make sure that's in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. If you guys are listening, definitely check that out too.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny just even walking into hotel rooms now. <laughs> like if I hit, if I walk in and it's a little musty, I'm going to go and change right away. But just looking even at air conditioning vents, if you've got something that looks like dust or dirt on the ac that's highly suspicious that that's mold if you go kind of look in your bathroom and any of the caulking is broken or there's any discoloration in the in the drywall if you've got wallpaper in a in a bathroom that's highly likely that there's going to be some some mold behind there um, and then you can even just walk around the outside of your house. If there's any place that the, the landscaping comes up above where the foundation is, that, that's another highly likely source of entry. And then anything that you see with paint peeling or anything around doorways, entry, doorways, you know, a lot of times, like you'll see a little bit where the, the, um, the caulking isn't quite right, so you might be surprised if you just walk around and look in your house where anything is disrupted, and in windows too. Like if you have window sills that are buckling or are not just pristine, I would be very suspicious that there's an issue with the with the windows.
0: Good to know. Um, what about the word mycotoxin? Because that's also used interchangeably with mold sometimes. Um, so I'm curious if you could define what that is and if it differs from mold or what, what to know about mycotoxins.
1: Yeah. So mycotoxins are just the little chemicals that the mold is making that are toxin toxic for for us or or animals you know, every type of organism is making byproducts in their physiological process of surviving. And so it's just things that they make as part of their survival. And what's really interesting is people who study these kinds of things, it's kind of how they war against each other. So usually there's not just one type of mold growing when there's moisture. It's a whole community, kind of a microbiome of the that surface. And they use it to try to ward off the other molds from taking them over. <laughs> and unfortunately, we get caught in the um, in the crossfire. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense.
0: Um, and I feel like now we have like a pretty good understanding of what to look for and how to know if you might have any of these issues going on in your home. I'd love to switch gears and really talk about what to do for your health if you do find it. Because like I said, I know this is a growing issue. It's a huge issue where I live. Um, and honestly, some of the symptoms that you mentioned um, sound like the response to like either autoimmune disease or, um, I've had several guests on to talk about breast implant illness and how the body's like mounting an immune response. So I'm curious to understand on a physiological level, like what is happening in the body when we have mold exposure?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. So the mycotoxins can do so many different things in our bodies. They can directly damage DNA. They can influence how our DNA behaves. They can damage the um, the cell membranes and the mitochondria, and then they can really injure our liver and our kidney, um, and then also affect our immune system. They suppress our immune system to be able to keep our own microbiome in check and to fight off infection and even affect how well our bodies keep cancer um, at at bay since we all have abnormal cells that we're producing all the time. So depending on the particular mycotoxin, it can do so many different negative things. My opinion now that I've seen more and more of this uh, mycotoxin illness is that the ideal thing would be that it be part of a screening that we do on a regular basis um, because we can check the mycotoxins in our, our urine through two different companies, Real Time Lab and Great Plains. So if we have an uptick in the amount of mycotoxin. Then we go look for the source. Is it in our car? Is it in our home? Is it in our office or school? Or is it in the food that we're eating so that we can make those adjustments before we get sick? I really do think it's one of the big biggest health crises that we're facing today. So for me, the prevention is ideal. But given that um, a lot of times we don't have the opportunity or the idea that we even need to be looking for these things and until we're sick or having some type of symptoms. And a lot of times the mycotoxin test isn't covered by insurance, then we've got to take the action to how to help to get it out of our body. One of the things that I love is that we can help our detoxification pathways work much better just by eating a different diet, eating a lot of cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale and then the thing the onions and garlic and spices that also support our liver and detoxification and then there are a bunch of supplements that we can take that also augment how well our bodies de- detoxify um NAC liposomal glutathione and then there are a bunch of binders like clay and charcoal and modified citrus pectin that really help to pull the Pull the toxins out, and based on what I'm seeing in my patients, both the patients that are just super motivated to to uh, do prevention, as well as the ones that are sick, is that we really all need to be focusing on this because we're being exposed to, really bombarded with toxins every day in our cleaning materials, in our the food preparation, our mattresses. That we need to be pro- proactive in preventing it.
0: Got it. So you mentioned that even certain foods can be a source of mycotoxins. What are some foods to watch for there? And how do we know if we're getting foods that are safe?
1: That's a very good question because it's really not regulated very well in our country. Other countries are actually better at this than we are. But often grains have high levels of mycotoxins in them. So wheat, barley, rice, belt, and especially corn. Like I I won't even touch corn now because it's pretty much all all moldy, um, and then things like coffee. the The nice thing about that is that there are companies like Bulletproof that screen for it and and make sure that we're not getting it in our our coffee. And then also nuts, so things like um, peanuts. I I love peanuts, but I will rarely rarely eat them because it's very difficult to grow them without having some aflatoxin growing on them. And then pistachios, you can see it so obviously. And then the other nuts that I that I eat I make sure that I keep it in the refrigerator or freezer to reduce the amount of growth that's that's going to happen and then if there's an obvious problem avoid it like you know sometimes cashews will have that dark area in them so those are the big ones to either watch out for or avoid but obviously the fermented things like um wine <laughs> and uh, kombucha and kvita uh, those are things that it's a little bit unpredictable, but can definitely have some mycotoxins in them.
0: Good to know. Um, And I think like the detox stuff you mentioned, I'd love to go a little deeper on that because I know you work with people on this and that it's also helpful for other things besides just mold. Is that correct? Like people can have other issues as well that this is helpful for?
1: It is. And a lot of times, mold is just the tipping point. People have had, you know, some pesticides like glyphosates and that kind of thing from their food, and um, some heavy metals from eating fish or tuna or having amalgam fillings, all of the plastics and that kind of thing from our food packaging. So, those things just gradually accumulating it in their body and then they get an exposure of mold and that tips them over. So a lot of these um, supplements and the foods really help us to eliminate a lot of those things from our body. So especially my my favorite thing, and I don't leave home without it, is liposomal glutathione. So that's a form of uh, glutathione that gets absorbed in the right form rather than digested and actually gets into the cells where we need them, to, to process the toxins and get them, then get them out of our body. And then things like uh, mitochondrial support. So the mitochondria are the little organelles inside the cell that help to produce the energy to do all the work in our body. So um, a lot of times just assisting those um, mitochondria with the B vitamins and magnesium and CoQ10 and lipoic acid, and then things that help to repair our cell membranes like phosphatidylcholine all work together to help the body to do a better job of eliminating the toxins
0: okay gotcha that all makes sense this episode is sponsored by four sigmatic they are the reason that i am on shrooms the legal kind every single day they make a wide variety of superfood mushroom infused products Everything from coffee and teas to mushroom elixirs and even an amazing chocolate that is infused with, I believe, 10 types of mushrooms. I have a shelf in my pantry dedicated just to Four Sigmatic products, and I pretty much keep all of their products on hand. Some current favorites from our house, my kids love the reishi-infused cocoa, and I love that it helps them sleep. I also personally really enjoy their 10 Mushroom Blend, which contains all of my favorites like Chaga, Cordyceps, Reishi, and even Mishima. And I can add this to to coffee, to tea, or to smoothies to get my daily dose of shrooms. As a a listener of this podcast, you can save 15% on those and all Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com. Forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama, all one word and all lowercase. So again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com forward slash wellness mama. I am so excited to finally be able to share a top secret project I have been working on for literally years because this episode is proudly sponsored by Wellness a new company I co-founded to create safe, natural, and obsessively tested products for families. I'm sure you've heard that most of what you put on your body gets absorbed through your skin and enters into your body. We turn this idea on its head, creating products that aren't just safe to put on your hair or on your skin or in your mouth, but that are actually beneficial because they contain things that your body needs in a way that can get through the skin. We started with the toughest first, creating the first of its kind natural toothpaste. That is free of fluoride and glycerin and that contains ingredients like green tea, neem, and hydroxyapatite to support the mouth. Our hair care, we have shampoo and conditioner for curly and straight hair. And it's free of harmful ingredients, but also contains things like lavender and nettle to support healthy, thick hair. I would love for you to be among the first to try it. And you can check it out now by going to wellness.com. So that's wellness with an E on the end. W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E com. So are there other, any other ways that people can know to keep the body's detox mechanisms in really good shape? And, and also along the same line as that, um, what do we need to know about detoxification? Because I feel like there are so many like cleanses and detoxes and all these things out there that make all these promises. Um, and my thought has always been the body has built in mechanisms. We just need to support what the body naturally does. But what do people need to know in general about kind of the natural detoxification mechanisms of the body?
1: Yeah. So some of us have genetic predispositions where we just don't detoxify great. You know, we're the ones that are the canaries that are going to let the, the illness is going to show up in us first. So, but the thing that's so exciting is that there are things now available to really help us to, you know, level the playing field and be, and help our bodies to keep up, very, very naturally. So, one of the things that concerns me about a lot of the information that's out there on detoxing is that they make it sound like it's normal to have detox symptoms like if you're detoxing, you're going to feel bad. Well, that's not good. That's a sign that you're not detoxifying in the right order. So I think about detoxification as being a series of dams. And if you open up one dam too much, you're going to flood the, the dams below. So you really have to be opening up the dams all together in the right order so that that you don't have the detox symptoms. So it's it's really not more is better or having symptoms is a is a sign that you're doing something good. It's actually a sign that you might be hurting yourself. So if you, you know, you you want to be kind of careful in how you detoxify because you don't wanna be taking a toxin that the body's work to sequester in, you know, like in fat cells and and Free it up and then have it move around to the brain cells. Right. So I I really believe in doing things very gently and and kind of methodically so that you're collaborating with these different systems in the body to all, you know, essentially get it out safely.
0: That's really good to know. Like, and to to clarify on that, because I've heard people say, you know, like, oh, it's just a Herxheimer reaction, or like it's because the body's detoxing. And so you're saying that's that's not something that needs to happen. And in fact, it might not actually be good for that to happen.
1: Right. So, for example, with patients, if they start to have symptoms, I want to know right away because that means that we might need to work more on you know the gut microbiome because the the, the microbiome in the gut really is important to be healthy for for getting the toxins out. Or we might need to do things like um, add in a um, a detox bath so that the their skin can help them more. Or we might need to go back and work more on a process called methylation a little bit more. So we it, it's a if they do start having any symptoms, then we know, okay, there are other things that we need to go look at. Maybe we need to really work on their gallbladder somewhere or um, so that they're making enough bile then to carry it out through uh, the toxins out through their gut. So it's such an intricate system. And so many things to look at with that if you're if you're deciding to do some type of detox and you don't feel white on it then you really need to step back and and think about how else to help your support your body some more in that process are there common
0: starting places or like universal things that are typically good um, for everyone because I, I know like I said I default to the body's natural mechanism so I always start with things like just making sure I'm well hydrated and then I'm eating enough greens and fiber and things like I love using the sauna. I'm curious if those are beneficial for detox and like are there good general starting points?
1: I love that because we're so aligned. Yes. You've got to get the diet nailed in first. Your your body's gotta have the phytonutrients to run the biochemistry and physiology of detoxification. So That's foundational, number one thing. And then I do love the saunas, but I really want people to go slow with that as well. Like thinking, okay, I signed up for this infrared sauna and I've got 30 minutes. I'm going to get every second of it out. Mm -mm. You've really got to listen to your body. And if if you get in the sauna and you have this kind of impulse to get out in five minutes, you're done. And then, so then just gradually build up to where your body's sweating and feeling good for the entire time that, that you're in there. And every once in a while, you might have a setback too, where you've, you've been doing a 30 minute sauna and feeling good. And then all of a sudden it, you have one where in 10 minutes, you're like, hmm. Wow, my body's really telling me to get out. Go ahead and get out because that means that's all your body can do for the day. And then exactly the hydration is so important. Um, you need your kidneys, uh, being adequately flushed every day so that, that they can do their job optimally. And, um, especially if you add in something like saunas, making sure that you have plenty of minerals to, um, uh sustain your intravascular volume but then these minerals are so important for the detoxification enzymes to work optimally so making sure that you're getting plenty of minerals either through a good mineral supplement or um if you've got food that's you know probably grown in the farmers market where there's still minerals in the soil that get into the food is 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 super helpful Oh, and then one of the most important things is you've got to be going to the bathroom. You have to be having valve movements at least once a day, two or three times a day if you can, because so many of the toxins also go out through the gut.
0: That makes perfect sense. Like just supporting, like we talked about, all those natural detoxification mechanisms that we're born with, like urinating and going to the bathroom, like you said. And I love sweating as well. I try to make sure I'm sweating in some way every day, whether it's exercise or sauna or both. I think that's really important and it definitely helps my skin feel better when I do that too.
1: And it really does make a huge, huge difference. When when I see patients, especially when their bodies are super broken down, they'll be like, "Well, I don't even have the energy to exercise." But when we can get them to the point where they can do the saunas and do the an exercise where they're sweating, it's amazing at keeping some buffer in their barrels so that they're not filling up. So I love it that you're really helping people to know these foundational things and hopefully prevent them from even getting sick.
0: What about, I'm just curious to get your take on different forms of fasting and how they can support um, detoxification and if they should be used or should not be used in a detox situation. Because personally, I love some days just not eating until later in the day. I feel better To doing that. And then occasionally I'll do like a longer water fast. And I feel like it just really helps my mental clarity. But I'm curious, does that have a place in when someone's dealing with an acute issue like this, or should it be avoided until they kind of address the problem?
1: I do think that there's a place for it with some people, if they feel up to it, definitely the intermittent fasting. Um, It doesn't have to be the long, long hours, but like 14 hours where they're you know, not having any nutrients. So like if they start eating at seven in the morning and then finish around five, or some people do feel better if they skip the morning, but for most people, it's better if they do something for breakfast and then finish eating around five and then don't eat or drink anything other than maybe some water or some herbal tea until the next morning can be very, very helpful. at stimulating the body to start to dump some of the cells that are working marginally, as well as um, just kind of giving the digestion a break. And then I, I'm not a fan of the water fasting, but I do think that the fasting mimicking, um, so there's a product called Prolon, and there's a lot of data around not Reducing your calories completely, but minimizing them so that you get the benefits of what a water fast would do Um, without the detrimental parts of it. It is stressful to not have any calories at all. And then you can lose bone and uh, muscle and find it you know, hard to replace that. So having a very small number of calories where you're still getting some of those nutrients to kind of stabilize blood sugar and run the basic mechanisms of the day, it ends up being like 500 to 800 calories, but just for five days at a time is amazing for resetting the immune system, helping to detoxify and really dump those cells that are they're kind of dragging down the rest of your body so that then you get a new product, increased production of stem cells going to making new tissues can be dramatically helpful if you do that once a month.
0: I love that. And I have, I've done water fasting and I definitely agree with your point on that, that it can be really stressful on the body. And I have also done both Prolon and kind of like a homemade version of Prolon that was just a lot of vegetables. And it's about those ratios. Um, I'm sure you've also read the work of Dr. Walter Longo and his book is amazing. Um, I'll actually put it in the show notes. It's a great book to read. But um, that's a great point that people can do fasting mimicking diet now. And there's so much research to support that without the stress of a full water
1: fast. So that's great advice. It's it's so exciting because some of their data coming out is showing that it's um, – is- good as some types of chemotherapy for some cancer. I'm not advocating for that as, you know, for as people's physician, but a lot of the drug companies doing chemotherapy are asking them to do collaborative studies where they're combining the fasting mimicking with the chemotherapy and they're even seeing more dramatic effects with helping to treat cancer, so it just makes sense too it's probably one of the best things that we can do to prevent cancer is to have those five days once a month and I like you i'm like, <laughs> what can I do to figure out how to do this because i don 't love the pet the the food quality that they're using in the prolon, although they've just got a new kit that's come out that's an an improvement in flavor. But yeah, so just getting lots of vegetables in and a little bit of protein for the for those five days, I think, is a good alternative.
0: For sure. And yeah, to echo what you said, I've seen some of that initial data coming out about um, cancer rates and also in conjunction with conventional cancer treatment and just how much less people are getting sick and how much quicker they're recovering. And I think um, things like this, I'm so excited when there's that kind of research that it, you know can work with conventional medicine if that's what someone wants to do and also can show data that it's going to help avoid certain types of cancers. I think we're in a really exciting time for that kind of research. And to circle back to the mold and the detox stuff real quick, I know that a lot of people listening, I'm going to get some questions related to, you know, kids, the elderly, what about if I'm pregnant or nursing? So I'd love to talk a little bit in detail about what if someone finds mold in their home and they also have children, because it's hard to give kids a lot of supplements or to have kids in a sauna for a lot of time. Um, So how can someone address that if they've got kids who have also been exposed?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm an internist and I take care of adults, but then of course then I have my patients that want me to see their kids. So I do have some experience with kids, especially in that have been in moldy environments and affected. So kids are so much more susceptible. You know, they have a heart, a higher respiratory rate. So they're going to, you know, their dose that they get into through their lungs, and then they have a, a smaller body mass. So, a lot of times kids are the canaries, right? And and yet their systems are, in some ways, are so much more robust, but then they're also more fragile in the same way. So I do end up having them do, uh, we have a detox bath that um kids kind of like cuz it's it's got uh, it's like doing a dirt bath <laughs> they get to get in the dirt and kind of play um so i think using their skin is also really helpful and then we don't sometimes i will use the liposomal glutathione in very small doses but we also have a topical glutathione that seems to work pretty well for them and then getting them to eat the good healthy foods you know lots of a lot of times you can change their t- taste buds very quickly and and find lots of vegetables that they'll love to eat or or even chop it up and hide it in soups and um, spaghetti sauces and all that kind of thing can make a really, really big difference. And then especially if a child is very sick, I'd like the data. Like I want to know what their nutrition nutrient statuses. I want to know what their gene pathways are that might have caused them to be most compromised and that we can do the workarounds by really looking at their methylation and that kind of thing. But just starting out with the baths, the a little bit of the topical glutathione, and then um, some really good base nutrients to support their body, a really good a probiotic, a really good multivitamin, making sure they have adequate amounts of magnesium, that they're going to the bathroom every day, that they're drinking clean water, and then get them out at the mall, figure out a way while the problem is being fixed to not be in that environment anymore. If it's going and staying with friends or family, we've had a lot of problems with the school systems here in uh, Central Texas uh, getting moldy, whether it's the air conditioning systems being turned down over the summer and and getting moldy or uh, issues with leaks or flooding. And sometimes I've had to have kids change schools.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's good to know. And I hate to hear that that's a problem because that means it's affecting all of those kids. Um, what about pregnancy and nursing? Because I know that's probably one of the most common questions I get across the board in relation to every topic I've written about is, what about if you're pregnant or nursing? And I know, obviously, those are times you do have to be really careful about detoxification. So what if someone's mold and they're in that phase?
1: That's really, really challenging. I mean, I like to help people get their bodies ready to be Robust during pregnancy and to get the toxins out, so they're not passing them through the placenta or through the breast milk. You cannot detoxify when you're pregnant. You do additional detox while you're pregnant or nursing because the more you free up in your body, the more you're going to pass it on to the to the to the child. So the best thing that you can do then is just not be exposed it's hard to have these conversations when it's not a one-on-one, like, look the person in the eye and see, because I don't want to create a lot of fear. But these mycotoxins are, they're teratogens. They can cause birth defects. They can cause cancer. And you, you know, you want to be protecting your children. So the best thing you can do is if you're already pregnant or nursing, minimize your exposures. Like, I don't think that nursing women should eat corn or peanuts because we know that most of those have some level of mycotoxins in them. Um, So do your best with um, what you're eating, the coffee that if you are drinking coffee while you're um, nursing, then, you know, uh, make sure that that it doesn't have the mycotoxins in it. You're probably not if you're pregnant. And then just... Keep eating, you know, for yourself, keep eating the most healthy foods that you can so that your body is uh, eliminating them, but don't do any active form of detoxification with, with the detox supplements.
0: Got it. And I know that you have a lot more resources for this, both on your website and in the um, PDF that you mentioned. So I'll make sure that we have links to both of those in the show notes. A couple of questions i love to ask, a little bit unrelated, um, but toward the end of interviews, if there is a book or number of books that have really impacted your life, um, if so, what are they and why? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I love that question. So um, as a child, I think one of the most impactful books was um, actually the series by Madeline L'Engle. But the one one, my most favorite book of hers was A Wrinkle in Time. I remember reading that around fourth grade or fifth grade. And Just it made me realize how much I loved science. Like I, that it just piqued my interest in really figuring out how things worked and um, and made me very curious. And then as an adult, one of the most inspiring books was actually an autobiography uh, called "Tales of Wonder" by Huston Smith who's one of the first people who really started exploring different world religions. And this book so inspired me because he was so curious and about how, what connects us all, but also what makes us different and really celebrating our differences. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things facing us today is that we're all on this planet together. And, we need to be um, solving some of these problems together rather than being divided. And, and I think he was one of the first people to really start doing that in such a positive way I just, I just and lived his, his life with such grace and, and care. <laughs> I think anybody who reads it would just really be inspired about what we can do together. I love that.
0: That's a new recommendation as well. Make sure it's linked in the show notes. I am such a huge fan of your work, Anne, and all the people that you help. If someone wants to work with you or find out more about your work, where can they find you?
1: We are um, doing a lot on Facebook and Instagram to get s- useful information out every day. So it's just Ann Shippy MD. And then the website, we're putting out um, blogs and useful information. And I'm trying to get myself to get <laughs> more in the, the uh, mode of, t- of making some videos too, not just the, the written word. But we'll have a lot more videos coming as well for, for people at, on the website, amchippymd.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your work around this. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work and um, I'm so excited to get to chat with you today.
1: Yes, it's great to get to catch up with you. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks as always to all of you for listening and sharing one of your most valuable resources, your time with both of us. We're so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me?